0: All right. Good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm one of the pastors here at WCC alongside Pastor John Cuppinger right there, Jake Pence, who is doing the Biblical Distinctives class right now, Pastor Dan Hardy, who is currently on sabbatical, and PIT, Pastor in Training, Chad Barlow, who's right there. Hi, Chad. Woo! So I'm so happy to be here with you today. We get to finish out our series in Malachi this morning. It's been a wonderful series, hasn't it? It has been so good and so refreshing to go through this book, and I'm excited to finish it today. Before we do that, I have a little story for you, though. So when I was in high school, I had an assignment to write a story. Now, this story, it could have been any kind, any topic, any plot we wanted as long as it followed the parameters of proper story writing. So we needed to have an opener, starting the initial premise, main characters, plot, moving it into an inciting incident that changed it all, changed the trajectory, tra- trajectory of the story completely. And then from there, there's gonna be a series of crises that build tension, leading to the climax of the story, and last but not least, the ending. So I was really excited about this particular assignment because I love to write. It was actually one of the few things I cared about in high school. So as soon as I got home, I went to work, and the story, it just seemed to flow. The characters were popping out, took place in the future. Every story in the future is great. The main character was on the run from the bad guys. There were guns and robots, you name it. It was a great story. I thought it was a great story. As the story came to life, bit by bit, my enthusiasm for writing it started to fade. It was too good. I started losing track of plot points. Characters were blurring together. It was so intricate, I couldn't keep up with my own story. So I did the unthinkable. I ended the story in the most humiliating way any author could ever end a story. The climax was approaching. The good guy was just about to win. The bad guys were just about to lose, and I wrote... And then he woke up. And then he woke up. Everything that just took place in the story, it was just a dream. And the dull, listless main character went back to his boring old life. So after all the depth and the intrigue and the story building, to the best part of it, I ruined it. I was, just, I was tired of working on it. I was just tired of trying to put in the time and the work and the effort to get it out. So I bailed. I was looking for every excuse not to keep going, not to move forward. Knowing that the story had so much more depth that could have been uncovered. I was just giving up. With the, and then he woke up ending, or in other words, again, I had just given up completely. I think this is kind of like Israel here at the end of the Old Testament. They gave up. Just like I did at the end of my story, they had given up. From the beginning of time, the story of God's love has been on display, starting with the unspeakable love in the garden when Adam and Eve failed. God showing this broken creation, unchanging love, by giving them a rescue plan from the beginning. Right at the beginning, Genesis 3.15, God initiates that proto-gospel, the rescue plan, right away. Which leads us, as as we've seen, into more accounts than we can fathom. Seeing God's unchanging love at every single turn. Even in consistent failure and adultery, lies, sin, brokenness, God was still there. Always loving, and in that love he was disciplining and guiding, and he was pointing to the coming Savior. The climax of the story. And here, even after the intense, beautiful story that was unraveling before their eyes, seeing the intricacy and the detail laid out for them, his people, Israel was still falling into the trap of the and he woke up ending. They gave up. They became lazy in their worship. They consistently were doubting. They they were acting like the history of God's unchanging love was just a dream. They were asking the question, oh, really, God, really? If all this is true, then why have you let our enemies prosper? Really, God, look at all the people around us, this evil in the world. Look at how they are succeeding. God, how have you loved us? Where's our Savior? Where's the one that you promised was going to come to restore peace? The story's over. There's no climax. There's no resolution. There's no rescue. It's just words from the author. Where we're not seeing, they're not seeing change. They're not seeing results. They were losing sight of the truth. In their waiting, they were getting bored. It's too complex. We have to remember too much. This old law, we, we can't do it. It's too much. And why should we continue on in this plot line if there's no reward for all the work that I'm doing? They were losing sight of this epic story that was unraveling before their eyes. Not realizing that the story is not ending. It's just getting ready to ramp up. But it's not just them At that time, who can so easily fall into the, and he woke up, ending by giving up. We can find ourselves, as we've seen even throughout this book, questioning this unchanging love of God. That's the name of our whole series for this book, is the unchanging love of God. And we can see ourselves doing this. Oh, really, God, how have you loved me? Look around at the evil prospering. Yeah, I know. I know Jesus came, but you also promised us you were going to return. Where are you? The world's falling apart at the seams. You promised to tear down the wicked. You promised to bring restoration back to this sinful, fallen world. But where are you? Just like them, then, we're getting bored in the complex plot line, because you're not seeing the results that you want thinking in this second chapter that we're living in today of this epic saga that it's not worth it. We, just like Israel then, are tired of waiting, trying to sift, sift through the depth and the complexity that this story is bringing. And he woke up, and they gave up, and we can give up. So, church family, as we finish this final prophecy in the Old Testament this morning, this final deep breath before the plunge, taking us into the second part of this beautiful love story we have in Scripture, I want you to take a look at your heart and examine how you yourself see the story unraveling. Are you trusting in the unchanging love of God? Are you trusting in His promises? Knowing that the story is not over. Knowing even in the brokenness that he is with you. Knowing in the chaos he still loves you. And knowing that he is the promised covenant keeping God that came to rescue you. And he will return to make things right again. So in these final three verses, we're going to see three things emerge, three points that we're going to be looking at. Number one is a bold reminder. It's cool, it's up on the screen. A bold reminder that we're going to see in verse four. Number two is a beautiful encouragement and a blazing flame in verse five. And then three, a bent knee to the king in verse six. A bold reminder beautiful encouragement and a blazing flame and a bent knee. The story is not over. There will not be the and he woke up ending where the story is just over. But instead, the and he will conquer all continuation. Knowing that when we remember what Christ has done and what he's going to do, we're encouraged to not give up because we are confident in the unchanging love of God. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. God, thank you for this day, for the breath in our lungs, for all that you provide for us, God. Thank you that we could come together today and worship you. God, I pray as we finish this book, this beautiful book of Malachi, that you have placed here your words, God, that you would help us see you clearly. God, that you would help us to see and understand your true unchanging love. God, your unchanging love that is with us always and forever. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would remove me from the equation, and it would be all about you, by you, and through you. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to the, our passage for today, which as you heard a minute ago is Malachi 4, 4 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one under your chair, the seat back right in front of you, and I believe page 803, if my brain is remembering correctly, I'm going to go with page 803. Hopefully that's correct. We're going to be starting in verse 4 this morning, also being our very first point for the sermon, being a bold reminder. A bold reminder, the verse saying this. Remember the law of my servant Moses and statutes and rules I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So after going through this book, the last four chapters, Malachi wants to make sure everything that was just said is understood. So with a 30,000 foot view recap of the book, he dives right in. And this recap would immediately Point the people back to the very first three disputations, the first three disputes that were taking place in the book. So the first disputations had a laser focus on the law, and not just the law, but the covenant that God had made with his people. The people were to remember what was given at Sinai, or as it's worded here, Horeb, which was the law of Moses. Focusing on the obligations to obedience at the time of entering into the covenant. Exodus 24, 1-3 says this. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord and you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All the words that God just said, we're going to do them. This law was then renewed by Joshua in Joshua 8.32, after the destruction of Ai. Joshua reminding the people again to keep the law in Joshua 23, 6. Moving forward into 1 Kings 2, where David reminds Solomon to uphold the law. This is consistent throughout Scripture. The list goes on. They were consistently needing reminders about this old law, or about this law, about this covenant that God made with them. As we saw in that verse, the people originally hearing this were so willing in the moment to do what God said. In one voice they cried out, we will do what you say. But the entirety of the Old Testament is watching them say that and then fail and say it and fail and say it and fail. They perpetually required a redirect back to truth, which is one of the reasons why the book of Malachi was written. They needed a reminder As their interest in the story faded, we see a continued pattern of sin and brokenness. But God, in his unchanging love, is reminding his people of his holiness and what he requires in this. With the most important reminder that we see in the Old Testament that God will keep his covenant. The covenant made to Abraham Moses, David, and reiterated as we saw so many times to so many others, that he will make his people a great nation. And through this nation, the Savior of all will come. This is what they're being reminded of. A great king is coming that will save you. The story isn't over. So here in Malachi, God's saying, My people, remember the law that I gave you. The law that I gave Moses at Horeb that I've reminded you of consistently because guess what? I have loved you. That's how the book starts, the very first line after the introduction. I have loved you. Know you're my chosen people that I love and will protect, as it said in chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Continuing on the book with, and as you think about my covenant, my promises to you. Think about if you, my people, actually love me. Look at the disgusting, lazy worship. Look at the blind sheep, the blemished goats. Look at what you're trying to offer me. Look what my unchanging love, everything I've done for you. And this is what you provide for me. And that's in chapter 1, 6 through 14. Look how you spit in my face while you're marrying pagans, like I've asked you not to. Divorcing your wives for no good reason, like it says in chapter 2, 10 through 16. Stop giving into the lie that the story's over. Stop acting like my covenant and law is too much to handle, so you bail. God's unchanging love is fully on display with this bold reminder to them that first point, that bold reminder. Showing this love through correction, through discipline, through warning, consistently in this book and throughout the Old Testament. With an immediate transition into our second point, the second verse, the beautiful encouragement and the blazing flame. It says this in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this verse is a callback to the last three disputations or disputes outlined in Malachi. First verse was looking at the first three. The second verse is looking at the last three. With God's character clearly on display, his unchanging love seen so clearly. Because we get to see God pointing to the old covenant fulfillment that was to come and the new covenant initiation that was being alluded to. So in the last three disputes, God was putting down the hammer. He was laying it down. He's pointing to the end game, and he's pointing to what's going to happen in the next chapter as the saga continues. Again, in encouragement, the story is not over. But a sobering reminder... That as the messenger comes, as the Savior follows, there will be a day where the gavel will fall. That people living in unrepentant sin, the people who have not put their faith and trust in the coming Savior for them then, and the one that we know now, Jesus Christ, it will be pure and utter devastation. With our second point on display, the beautiful encouragement of salvation. God has given us a way to be with him. But also, the blazing flame for those without him. The messenger is coming, the king is coming, and after accomplishing all that he must do, living the perfect life, dying the perfect death, rising again, and ascending to the Father, he will return. In that great and awesome day of the Lord. This day, as Chad said last week, was inaugurated by Christ's arrival and will be consummated or completed in his return. So now that we have an overview of the reminders that came with this specific verse, it's necessary that we dig a little deeper to truly understand what's being said here. So over time, this phrase, Elijah will come or I will send you Elijah, it's been disputed a little bit. Some have claimed and said that this is referencing Elijah himself, in the flesh, returning in the end as one of the witnesses, that is testifying the good news of Christ to the world in tribulation, only to be murdered in the streets like it talks about in Revelation 11, 1 through 18, if you want to check that out later. While some say that it's a reference to Elijah and Moses on the mountain during Jesus' transfiguration, talks about that in Matthew 17, 1 through 13, which I would highly encourage you to look at because this is, in fact, a direct parallel to Malachi. It's a representation of the entirety of the Old Testament prophets alongside Christ who would fulfill the law. So cool to see how the Bible works together. The Old and New Testament are not separate. They are one story combined all together, seeing Jesus from beginning to end. But in this specific verse, it's most accepted that this is a reference to an Elijah-like prophet, an Elijah-like prophet, who would pave the way for the coming Savior, who would be the mouthpiece for the Lord. And this is clearly affirmed in the very beginning of the New Testament where we see the faithful priest Zechariah, who is entering the temple to burn incense to the Lord, When the angel of the Lord appears to him and proclaims some incredible news, it says in Luke 1, 11 through 17. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So from the mouth of the angel of the Lord is the exact quote from Malachi. Bringing, I feel like, a pretty strong argument that John the Baptist is in fact the Elijah-like prophet. Would you agree? Yeah. This is the messenger that would prepare the way for the king, for the coming savior. And even from Jesus... In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the crowds about John the Baptist and asking the people why they went out to see him. And then he goes on immediately after to tell the people who this John is. Matthew 11:9 through 14. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you were willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So this man, John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, would remind the people again that the story is not over. That even though there was a 400-year period of silence from God to his people between Malachi and John, 400 years between Malachi and John, the story still isn't over. It's just getting going. So in the time between Malachi and John the Baptist, the people had to have been lulled back into the, and then he woke up ending. Giving up like I did in my story at the beginning. There was a 400-year gap. And if we've seen through the Old Testament, there was like only a couple years between them going, yeah, God, we love you. Oh, no, never mind. We're going to go worship these idols. So 400 years is a pretty big gap. So they might have been thinking that the plot line had ended. Just living in the lackadaisical, mundane, boring story. Losing sight of the covenant-keeping God who spoke to them so directly here Malachi. So, this short but powerful verse, it would have been an encouragement because, again, it recalls the covenant made by God to his people by pointing to the coming rescuer. And it's for us the reminder and beautiful encouragement that our Savior Jesus Christ has come. He has come. And that he will return by God's grace before the great and awesome day. Of the Lord, Jesus came. And as Chad spoke on last week, this great and awesome day of the Lord should be to them then and to us now a sobering thought. All throughout Scripture, every time this phrase was used, it was referencing destruction. In Isaiah 13, It was regarding the judgment of Babylon when it talked about the great and awesome day of the Lord. Ezekiel, when he used it, is talking about a time of doom. In Joel, it was a locust infestation, invasion. In Amos, it was Assyria destroying the northern kingdom. Obadiah is talking about the destruction of Edom. The list goes on. But this day of the Lord in Malachi is different. It's different because, yes... There's a piece to it that is destruction and devastation, and that is a real thing, but also a day of joy and peace for those who have been rescued. For those who have been saved and restored, it will be a glorious day. As Chad said last week, he said something about like a happy cow jumping in a field. It's like a happy cow jumping around. This gives us a clear understanding from the verses last week and today that the great day of the Lord, as I said previously, is is inaugurated with Christ who brings salvation to those who would believe. And also is the second coming of Christ where it will be completed. Where the world will be consumed and destroyed. Where those not knowing him will be lost for all eternity and a joyous day for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. So recapping from this verse in Malachi, the messenger will prepare the way for the one who would rescue the world before the day of our destruction. Jesus Christ, who came to us even though we were enemies, even though we were dead in our sin, gave his perfect life sacrificially. The unblemished lamb, our creator God, who took on the cup of wrath. He was the propitiation for our sins so we could live rising again. So we could live Jesus rising again, (laughs) defeating death, ascending to the Father with the promise that he will return. This is what Malachi was pointing to from these short but profound verses. It's interesting. We actually see the entirety of Scripture come to life right here. For them then it was remember the law, the covenant. Think all the way back and how God's unchanging love is on display through the whole story. And then also the messenger's coming. And then he will return again. The promise of a savior that would change it all. And the promise that he would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So they were looking backwards and they were looking forwards. The entirety of the timeline is on display. For us now, it's also looking back and looking forward. Remember God's faithfulness from the beginning, God's unchanging covenant-keeping love. Remember that the Savior has come. He gave it all up so you could be back in a right relationship with your Creator. And thank you, God. It was before the day of judgment. Thank you for sending Jesus and not just destroying us in our sins, but know that the King is coming back a joyful day for the believer and a dreadful day for the lost. It's a beautiful encouragement with the reality of the burning flame. I think it's vital that we double down on what Chad brought into play last week. Without a relationship with Jesus, if you have not put your faith and trust in him, if you have not acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, knowing that Jesus is the Savior that you need. The great and awesome day of the Lord is the second that you leave this earth. If you die without Jesus, the burning flame is the reality. But with Christ, it's a day of inexplicable joy. Church family, I pray that you will truly think through what I just said this morning. Because this is the most important thing that you could ever hear me say. As one of your pastors, as a friend, family, it would be the worst tragedy in the world for me not to hammer this home. Because yes, we're not hellfire and brimstone, but that's exactly what this is talking about this morning. You don't know Jesus today, you will not be with Him forever in paradise. If you don't have a relationship with Him, and God forbid you have a heart attack today and die, there is no going back. Church, I pray if you have yet to do this, you will not leave here today without talking to someone. Jesus, God, our Creator, He has His arms open wide, full of grace and forgiveness. And it's not about works. You can never earn your way to God. No matter what you think, you will never be able to work your way to God. It's not about how much you do or how much you give or how many times you show up to church. It doesn't matter if you give your entire paycheck to the homeless. If you don't know Christ, there is no relationship. Simply knowing that you need him and knowing how desperately he wants you. It says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth to Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that easy. And if you're sitting here today having a relationship with Christ, I pray that this is a wake-up call to you. A wake-up call to get out there because there are people that are lost. There are people that are dying in their sin that will not get to spend eternity with their creator. How many of us are getting out there in our works in our in, in our work in our jobs at school understanding this and desiring so desperately that this lost world know him that we're out there even if it's awkward, even if it's weird, even if that's someone you don't like, it doesn't matter. They need Christ. If you're sitting here today thinking the story's over, and he woke up as your conclusion, that you're you're giving up, you're tired of waiting, feels like the unchanging love of God changes, it ebbs and flows, what's happening in your life, I pray that God will wake you up to be reminded of the truth of this mission. So yesterday at the men's breakfast, we talked about toxic passivity toxic passivity, and how being passive in this life as the Israelites were then is beyond destructive. It brings the mission to a halt. The mission that we've been given by God for the sake of his glory, for his kingdom, and for those around us. So if you're sitting here today, knowing Christ but nonchalantly letting the world pass you by, I beg you, Have it stop. I pray that today would remind you. Remember the unchanging love of God and act on it. I pray that these reminders from the end of this final prophecy will reignite the spark. See the truth that, again, the story is not over. Our Savior has come. He's given us a way to be back in a right relationship with God, and he is coming back. leads us to our last point. Because of all of this, we bow our knee to the King of Kings for all that he's done, and all that he's doing, and all that he will do. Verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of our destruction. So the coming messenger will prepare the hearts for the coming Savior who will reconcile the world to himself. This coming Savior, the messenger, was preparing the way for it would restore hearts. He will be the one to restore the Father's heart to the child and the child to the Father. Through Christ there is restoration and rescue. He is the one who puts the broken pieces back together. And without him, there is a decree of utter destruction. Because of this, we bow our knee in reverence and awe, knowing it's not by us or through us that anything is possible. We are not the reason the story goes on. It's through the one that holds the world together by the word of his power the one who holds the stars in place. Jesus Christ is worthy of all, the one we bow our knee to. The story's not over. The king is coming. For them, it was the advent. It was the first coming of Christ. And for us, it's his coming return. And I'm so excited because we're actually starting our advent series next week. So it's a perfect step from the end of Malachi into the coming Messiah. And I'm even more excited because immediately after Advent, we're diving straight into the book of Luke. So we get to see the final prophecy, the coming Savior, and then the perfect life on display of our perfect king through the words of Luke. Pretty good transition. What a better way to see that the story's not over. So as we close today, I want you, as I said at the beginning, to take a hard look at your life. See if you truly believe that God's love is unchanging. And the way that you live your life will speak directly into the way that you see this story playing out. Look at the book that we just studied and the Israelites' response to God throughout. Are you questioning God's love this morning? If so, then there's a lack of belief that his love isn't changing. And you need to find the root. Where is this stemming from? What do I not believe about my promise keeping God? Are you asking this morning, why is he letting evil prosper? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why am I suffering while they're prospering? Then again, there's a root. Yes, this world is hard, and I'm not in any way saying that there is not pain and that we don't just grind through no matter what. But we still need to observe our lives and see where the root is of unbelief. Is it because you're tired of waiting? Is the end of your story, and then he woke up? Are you believing the truth? I think there's times that all of us fall into my high school story scenario. It's too hard. There's too much. I just want it done. Go back to the half-hearted, ignorance is bliss kind of life, like the Israelites were living. The church, the beauty is we have the entire story in our hands right here. We know the outcome. We know the truth. We just have to keep our God, whose love is unchanging at the forefront. Knowing his unchanging love can be seen then, now, and forever. Leaving you with our four points from today, wrapping up this last book in the Old Testament. Number one, a bold reminder. Are you remembering your covenant-keeping God? Two, a beautiful encouragement and a blazing flame. Isn't it incredible that our Savior has come, but knowing without him there is an eternity of destruction? And three, a bent knee to the king forevermore. We praise him forever for what he has done, turning our hearts, bringing us back into a right relationship. When we remember what Christ has done and what he's going to do, we're encouraged not to give up because we are confident in the unchanging love of God. Let's pray. God, again, we're just grateful for this time. God, thank you for your words that are so powerful. Even in three short verses, your unchanging love is clearly, clearly on display. God, I pray if there's anyone in here right now that does not have a relationship with you, God, that you would you would do a mighty work in their heart right now. God, that you would help them see the need for you. God, that a relationship with you is not a get-out-of-hell-free card, God, but it is an eternity with the one who created us. God, I pray if there are believers here right now that are living in that lackadaisical life, God, that you would wake them up to see the truth that there are people that need you to get out there. God, I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.